have been in this Advent series on the incarnation, why the manger matters. And what we've been doing is simply walking phrase by phrase on our statement of faith concerning Jesus Christ. And this is what we believe here at the Bridge Church concerning Jesus Christ. Let's read it. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man. One person and two natures, Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into the heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. Amen. Bring up the first part of the statement again. The first week we talked about Jesus Christ, God incarnate, who is fully God. We looked at John chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the second week, we went over to Hebrews 2, and we talked about God incarnate, who is fully man. Then on last week, we looked at Israel's, Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, how, and we looked at how Jesus fulfilled both the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. We said that the Abrahamic covenant could be summarized in three words, land, Seed, blessing. And Jesus fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant because through Jesus, the son of Abraham, all the families of the earth are blessed. But we also said that the Davidic covenant could be summarized in three words. House, throne, kingdom. Jesus is the the eternal king, the a son of David, the son of David, who fulfills all the promises made to David. He is the king. He comes from the house of David. He has the right to rule. He is the king of kings who has no end. And so this Sunday, on this last Sunday, as we close this Advent season, which we said Advent is about watching and waiting. Watching and waiting. God goes silent for 400 years after the last Old Testament prophet speaks, and he doesn't speak again until a fellow by the name of John the Baptist comes as a forerunner of Jesus Christ saying to the world, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this morning, we want to look at the virgin birth. 
the virgin birth. And for, to study together this morning, I want us to look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. It is the third book of the New Testament after Matthew and Mark. Luke chapter 1. Luke sets out to write an orderly account to Theophilus. Loved of God, loved by God, lover of God. And so in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 26, we have this announcement, this annunciation of Jesus foretold. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse number 26. Take me down just a little bit, please. Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. Our custom here at the British Church is to stand for the reading and reverence of God's holy word. Luke chapter 1, beginning verse number 26. Here's how it reads. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne, there, listen, of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Remember the Davidic covenant. Summarize three words. Throne, house, kingdom. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age hath conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. The virgin birth. The question we are answering this morning is why the virgin birth? First thing I want us, to, let me explain first of all that today's sermon is much more of a topical sermon rather than an exposition of this particular text. I want us to do more of a systematic understanding of this virgin birth. So the first thing I want us to talk about this morning is the reality of the virgin birth. 
the reality of the virgin, the virgin birth. The question is, should we believe that Jesus was really born of a virgin? Some argue, Christians, theologians, by the way, argue against the virgin birth for biological reasons. They argue that it is simply biologically impossible for a human being to be born without the male's contribution to the fertilization process. And knowing the basics of how uh, human life comes into existence, this argument is scientifically valid. The only problem with this argument is that those who make this argument make God bound to the sciences that he created. Friends, God is not confined to the laws of nature. He does not have to submit to the rules and the nature that he himself created. He is a God that consistently defies the very laws of nature. You don't believe me? Let me give you an example. The virgin birth is attributed to the same God that created the world, ex nihilo. That, that, that's Latin. That's Latin. Ex meaning out, out of, or from. Nihilo meaning nothing. The same God who took the nothing and made something that we call the universe is the same God that, 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 that conceived this baby born in the Virgin Mary. This is, we're talking about the same God that took dust from the earth, blew breath into the nostrils, and created the first man called Adam. This is the same God that took the rib from Adam, fashioned it into what we call a woman named Eve. If God can do that, then the virgin birth is nothing for him. This God that consistently defies the laws of nature, we call that a miracle. This virgin birth is both a mystery and a miracle. And friends, if there's one thing that the virgin birth ought to remind us in this Advent Christmas season is that we serve a God who specializes in things that seem impossible. This, the, 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 some of you have come in here this, this morning with some impossible, with some seemingly impossible situations before you. Advent ought to remind you that God specializes. He's an expert in things that seem impossible. I don't have time this morning to lean into that like I want to. So what, some argue against the virgin birth biologically. But there are some who says that this idea of the virgin birth is theologically untenable. Look, 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 look. They argue that procreation by a human father is part of what it means to be human. Thus, if Christ did not have a human father, then he could not have been fully human. This argument is problematic primarily because when we consider the first two human beings to ever exist, thank you. 
Adam and Eve had no human father. Are Adam and Eve not fully human? If not, then neither are we. I guess we're aliens. So God has already set a precedent that one can be fully human without procreation by a human father. So that's the reality of the virgin birth. Let me give you some reasons for the virgin birth. Why the virgin birth? Some have asked the question is, was the virgin birth necessary? I, yeah, could the, here's what, what, what the, here's the heart of the question. Could God become fully God and fully man outside of the virgin birth? He's God, so I, I, he could have done something else. But for whatever reason, God decided that this was going to be the means by which he sent his son to save his people from their sins. So then, why would God choose this means? Become, being born of a virgin. First of all, I would like to argue that the first reason for the virgin birth is the very holiness of God. That, now, our text this morning said that the, she, Mary said, how can it be since I am a virgin? And then this angel says to her that the, over, the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And he will be called holy. If we're not careful, we will, we will conclude that Jesus became holy when he was conceived in his mother's womb. But friends, that is theologically errant. Jesus Christ did not become holy when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ has always been holy because he is preexistent. In other words, he existed before whatever ex what we know of as existence. From eternity past, because Jesus is God, remember John said, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. He has always been God, and because he has always been God, that means he has always been holy. He, he was holy before the womb, he was holy in the womb, and he's holy outside of the womb. So because God is holy, his birth had to be unique. Christ had to be born differently because he is holy. Because he is like none other, then it was right that he be born like no other. Okay, okay, you don't like that reason. Let me see if I can give you another reason. The other re another reason he had to be born of a virgin was to disrupt the line of Adam. Okay, okay, okay. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Everybody born the natural way is said to be in Adam. 
We are all inherently guilty because of Adam. If Jesus would have been born like all men, he would be inherently guilty like all men. And if he were guilty like all men, he would be an unqualified Savior. But God willed, well, the first Adam messed up in sin in the garden, that there would be a new Adam who would be sinless and reign over the entire universe. Here's what Paul says in the rest of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. So, friends, it was necessary that Jesus be born outside the line of our Adam so that he would not be guilty of sin and could, and could by one act of obedience of dying on the cross to make many righteous. Now, this is for free. I said I was not going to go off on a tangent. <laughs> Here's the question that some have asked. And I, I'm not going to preach on a lot because uh, we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the sinlessness of Jesus. The question, this is a wonderful question. If Jesus was fully God and fully man, could Jesus have sinned? I can't walk you all the way through this argument, but it's a wonderful question. Ha! And I am not the one to answer it. <laughs> Some have argued, <sighs> y'all messing with me this morning. <laughs> to be fully man is to have a sin nature. Meaning that one has the potentiality, let's say it like that, to sin. So, if Jesus had, was fully man, and we believe that, amen, then the argument goes, then he had to have the ability to sin. So, to answer that question, if Jesus was fully man, and to be fully man means to have a sin nature, then that means he had to have the ability to sin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But we got to go back to the very beginning. Because the very beginning, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tells us how God's, uh, what God's ideal was for mankind. Question. Actually, let me just tell you, I don't have time. God created the heavens and the earth. Then he created male and female. And everything that God created... He said it was good. Oh, y'all better help me preach. I almost ran out of here. So if everything that God created was good, the question that we have to ask one another is, did Adam and Eve originally have a sin nature? So then, it is not inherent to be fully man that you have to have a sin nature. That's not what it means to be fully man. God's ideal of fully man is I created you in my image to be fruitful and multiply, 
to be my vice regents, to be the vice presidents here on the earth, to be my vice rulers here on the earth. That's why I created you and that you would obey me and worship me. That was God's idea. Sin doesn't enter the picture into Genesis 3. They were fully human before they ever sinned and, be, and, and, and passed on the sin nature to their progeny. So then you, if you would have asked me, I would say he could not have sinned because he was fully God. He's holy. He was conceived. The text tells us you can see by the Holy Spirit. And he's always been God from eternity past. But yes, he was fully man. But to be fully man doesn't mean he had to have a sin nature. All right, you're welcome. All right, 16 more minutes. The reasons for the virgin birth. Another reason that Christ had to be born of a virgin was because of the sinfulness of man. Here's what I mean. Because man sinned, man deserved to die for their sins. And so a man had to die. The only way for Jesus to be an all-sufficient redeemer was for him to become a man. Hebrews 2, go listen to the sermon from two weeks ago. And so the virgin birth actually serves as judgment on human nature. See, the race needs a redeemer but cannot itself produce one. Not by its own decision or desire, not by the processes of education and civilization. The Redeemer must come from outside. So because man sinned, man deserved to die, man had to die to pay for the penalty of their sins. But finally, another reason for the virgin birth is to be the fulfillment of a sign promised. Isaiah chapter 7 Verse number 414 says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So then the virgin birth serves a sign that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. So then what are the results of this virgin birth? Well, Jesus is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. The results of the virgin birth, thirdly, God is with us. In this virgin birth, God invades human earth in the person of Jesus. God condescends. The king of kings stoops down for poor peasants, you and I. Think, think about it. Think, think about the queen of England stooping down to wipe the sandals of a homeless man. That's God with us. That's grace. 
So the result is that God is with us. God is among us. God dwells with us. God is not far from us. He's imminent. He's, he's here with us. As he was with Israel during the wilderness runnings, wanderings in the clouds, so is he with us in Jesus Christ. Psalm 46 and 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. So we do not fear. Not only is God with us, but another result of the virgin birth is God for us. Earlier, Jeff uh, Dizey read for us uh, the Matthew's account of the virgin birth, and, 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 and in that account it said, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people for the, from their sins. The only way for Jesus to save his people from their sins was by way of the cross. Not only is he with us, but he is for us in the sense that he became our substitute on the cross. He took our place. He died our death so that we might have eternal life. Not only is he God with us, not only is he God for us, but Jesus, by way of the virgin birth, becomes the first man of the new creation. You remember... Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Here it is. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Now we go back to Luke chapter 1, 34 and 35. Uh, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. <laughs> and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The conception of Christ is a divine intrusion. The last great culminating eruption of the power of God and the plight of humanity is the first man of the new creation has arrived. And so by way of the virgin birth, Jesus is the beginning of a new creation. God doing now what he had originally attended for man in Genesis 1. Jesus is indeed the new Adam. And there is no sin in him. He that knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. So we don't have to worry about him failing like Adam did. So then, what is the response of the virgin birth? I'm glad you asked. First of all, Mary, I just want us to show how Mary responded to the virgin birth. Remember, look with me again, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. 
Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Verse 38, her how can it be turns to let it be. So what is the response to the virgin birth humble submission? Think about it. Mary, somewhere around, the, anywhere between 12 and 14 years old, a teenager. She's betrothed to this man. It's like a year-long engagement. But it's essentially just as if they are married. And she's going to be, uh, uh, become pregnant without the help of the man that she's engaged to. If she's found out, they're going to say adulterer. The penalty according to the law, for an adulterer was to be stoned to death. Her reputation is on the line. She's got to tell the man that she's engaged to that she's pregnant with a child that he didn't help create. There's the, the potentiality of divorce. it's possible that she may be sentenced to die. And her response to the news that she is going to be the bearer of God is let it be. She doesn't completely understand how this is going to happen, but she says, let it be. My life is going to be at risk, let it be. My reputation could be shattered, let it be. Even when you don't understand the reasonings of God, you still have a duty as a servant of God to submit to whatever his will may be. And maybe, just maybe the reason we struggle with this is that we don't see ourselves like Mary sees herself. Here's what she says. The first thing she says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. See, see maybe we won't feel so spiritually entitled if we would just remind ourselves that we are servants. And being a servant of God is no easy thing because remember, there was a fellow by the name of Job. Uh, 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 Satan uh, came to God's throne. God said, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro. And, and, and God said, have you considered my servant, Job? Being a servant means you may get caught up in the battle between God and Satan. And you may lose everything you have, but, but may God just, even in this moment, is that Job was the servant and he is the master. And this master does no wrong. He does no evil. 
friends. May the virgin birth remind us this Christmas that we are all servants of the Most High. And I'm submitting to his will. Whatever it may be, I surrender. Humble submission is the response to the virgin birth. But not only does Mary humbly submit, but she also shows us that we should have a response of joyful adoration. After she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and finds out that she who was barren and old is now six months pregnant. She says to herself, I have to imagine that she says to herself, if God did it for her, (laughs) then he can do it for me. Can I just stop and parenthetically preach right there that sometimes the encouragement that you have to be to yourself is that you got to look at your brother and sister and see how blessed they are, and you have to be able to say, if he did it for them, that he can do it for me. If he did it before, he can do it again. That's the kind of God we serve. He's the God of miracles, the God of impossibilities. But that wasn't my point. So she sees Elizabeth. And after she goes and sees Elizabeth, she knows I'm next in line for a miracle. Woo! I feel preaching right through here. And here's how she responds. Same chapter, verse number 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. With joy, she begins to adore him. I'm going to mess up my whole sermon here. But by the way, look at Mary's own words. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why else would she need a Savior unless she was a sinner? That's all I'm going to say on that. She adores him. So what's the response for us? Worship team, you can come back. What's the response for us as we prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls to celebrate the birth of he who was born of a virgin to joyfully adore him, to worship? That's what I want us to do in this moment now. Let us adore him with joy. Because our king has come. God has invaded human earth. And notice that God had to do it. Because we were unable to do it for ourselves. Salvation is always a supernatural work of God. That's what the virgin birth reveals. Someone may be in here today. You need to know that you were created for worship, to worship the one true God. But you fail in that because of your own 
sin nature. And because of your sin nature, you sin and you are, are, are destined to die to spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell. But God loved you so much that he sent his son, wrapped him in human flesh so that he could go to the cross and die your death on the cross so that you could have eternal life. Now, now, hear me well, church. Hear me, church. When you hear things like he died for the world and he died for all, it makes it seem like everybody's going to go to heaven. But that's a, a trick and a lie of the enemy. It's only to those who believe that will receive eternal life. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ and, 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 and Christ alone, then you still remain Condemned. Yes, you can be saved by birth, but it's a rebirth, a new birth. You must be born again. And that new birth comes by trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. You are not here by accident or coincidence. God sovereignly led you to hear this news, this good news, that the king has come. The king has died on your behalf. But the king rose on the third day with all power in his hand. And the king lives, he lives, he lives. Let's stand.